Welcome to Thawhack. guys welcome to another episode of thought hack uh our guest today obviously we're in studio thanks to the whole uh corona situation but this is a very lucky gate we're talking today to david atchison uh david is the former chief medical officer at the usda and i believe is currently the associate commissioner at the fda am i correct well that's a job that i did have i'm currently right. the ceo of uh, the atchison group food safety consulting firm awesome awesome so david how have you been how have you been holding up been holding up really well i live in northwest montana where it's uh, quiet and we have more grizzly bears than we do people so it's a good place to be oh yeah <laughs> you're lucky <laughs> i mean you have I, i'm imagining you have a ton of space you can like sort of go outside and absolutely no we're I mean, very we're very blessed to be living up here it's uh doesn't always have advantages but right now it's a good place to be um i'm currently in in New Jersey, and uh, it's it's people on top of people. It's just really tough to you now move around. Um, I believe the the tri-state area is is has the most cases of Corona right now. It's pretty much yeah yeah the worst yeah. in New York. So I, I'm considering because of your background, you have a a different understanding or, or a deeper understanding of what's going on right now. A lot of people were have been saying this has sort of been inevitable. This was something that was going to happen eventually. What things could we have done previously to to avoid this, or at least sort of contain it a bit? Well, you know, Reg, you, you make a good point that it w was was this an accident waiting to happen? Was it inevitable that we would wind up with a pandemic? And historically, the answer is unequivocally yes. If you look at the history of the human race, as far back as we can see, several thousand years, we've gone through periods of what we call pandemics. Um, you know, and basically to define that, that just means you've got, you've got disease that's spreading within the community in multiple parts of the world at the same time. That's all a pandemic is. Um, you know, we're used to an outbreak of illness from E. coli in something or other in, in ground beef or in lettuce. We hear about these things all the time. Those are not pandemics, they're local. Um, history over the last 10, 12 years has taught us that these coronaviruses pop out now and again um, from different parts of the world. We Obviously, we are all familiar with SARS uh, because it's been in the media as part of COVID-19. That was a close cousin of this current disease we're dealing with. Um, that emerged, emerged out of China um, more than 10 years ago, and, and it quietly disappeared. We got illnesses, but it wasn't nearly as dramatic as this one. So we've dodged a few bullets over the last 10 or 15 years. This one we didn't dodge. And sadly, I predict, given our global travel and our desire to be such social animals, um, we'll have another one. Um, I think we have to plan moving forward that's what we're going to have to deal with um what could we have done to prevent this probably very little um you know I, I, again as humans in public health issues we react to crises and we react very well but we're not that great at preparing um you know when you're working on a tight budget and somebody says well 
you know, I might need 30,000 ventilators in New York City. Um, you might, you might not. Am I going to spend the money on 30,000 ventilators and leave them in mothballs for a decade? You're not. You're not going to do that. It's not the way we work. It's priority. And we always look backwards and say, man, I wish I'd done more. But I suspect we'll be in a different place going forward. Yeah, because uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. We right. we've experienced it now, so hopefully there are, there are measures that we take and and things we put in place. So God forbid, if we were in this situation again, there'll be like a, a very quick reaction. We'll know what to do. I believe um, they're saying globally there are countries, especially um, Asian countries, that have sort of been through similar situations. So they, they had things in place, whereas I, I think sometimes when things happen to the global community, to a degree, the United States has been insulated. So we, we weren't really in a place where we're thinking this could happen to us. You're exactly right, Reg. You know, I think we, were, we weren't thinking it could happen to us. Um, we, we, we think we're different, but we're not. Um, there's a lot of global travel going in and out of the US to Asia and Europe. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say we paid the price. Um, most of the time, it's what we want. It's what our life is about. It allows a global economy to thrive. It allows us to be, you know, the best country in the world. Without that, we wouldn't be that. Um, and every now and again, there are consequences of, of that ability to, to fly all over the world. And if something pops up like this, and as we learn, um, as you said, you're on the East Coast. Um, I think we know that most of the cases that impacted New York, New Jersey, probably came from Europe. Um, most of the cases initially in Washington, on the West Coast, probably came from China. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of close one door, i.e. you shut down the flights from China, but we still had flights coming in from, uh, from Europe, particularly Italy, where, as everybody knows, was a real hotspot for a while. Yeah. Um, now... There's been a, a ton of misinformation regarding, regarding the virus. Um, right. I know a lot of this misinformation has been driven by, by the fringes. There's been a lot of conspiracy theories and so on and so forth. What, what can we do and like very clear and concise, give, give people like information. For some reason, it's, it's getting harder and harder to discern what's real and what's fake when you're you, when you're reading news online, what right. can people do besides what's been reported by everyone, which is like stay indoors and so on and so forth, to, to keep safe and, and stay healthy? That's a really good question, Reg. And, you know, let me try to answer that by summarizing what we know about the spread of the virus. Um, it, it, it is what we call a respiratory virus. Um, it is spread person to person. So if you think about a disease that spreads through food, um, we know that food can be a vehicle for certain illnesses. Salmonella is something everybody recognizes. You know, cook your chicken, because if you don't, you might get sick from salmonella. We all know that message. This is a, this is a virus that spreads in the air. Um, it spreads from one infected person to somebody who's not infected. We, we know that when an infected person coughs, when they talk, um, and then saliva or secretions come out of their nose or their mouth, sick with the virus, they're gonna, that's going to have the virus in it. So we've learned that, that the simple things of this social distancing, which is difficult, but if you keep separate from somebody, then the likelihood that it'll spread from an infected person to you just remains low. We know that if 
it gets onto a contact surface. By that, I mean cardboard, plastic, uh, stainless steel, a surface. The virus is not going to multiply on that surface. It will die, but it doesn't die for a couple of days. So if somebody's coughed onto a surface and you touch that surface 12 hours later, you don't know they've been there. You don't know they've coughed on it. And then you rub your eyes um, or you touch your nose. You could transfer the virus from that surface to yourself and get infected. So the simple messages here, Reg, while boring, are effective. The social distancing to the extent we can do it, number one. Number two, wash your hands, because if you've got virus on it, you will not get infected through your hands. It doesn't get you through your hands. It only gets you when you, when you touch your face and it gets onto your mouth or your nose, your eyes. So washing hands is really effective and not touching your face works. It sounds simple, it sounds boring, but it's, but it's effective. Um, other things that we can do, obviously, um, there's been a lot of, I'd say to your point, news and information, misinformation about the use of face masks. You know, what, what do they do? What we've also learned here, Reg, which is important, is that um, there's a lot of people who have the virus and don't know they've got it. And yes. when you get infected with the virus, when you first get it, you're completely unaware. And the virus gets into your system and it starts to multiply. And you get to the point where there's enough virus in you that every time you talk or you cough, you, you, you spray some of it out. Now, what we've learned is the two days before you get symptoms is probably when you're, when you're at your most infectious, interestingly enough. It's not when you're really sick. It's just before you start to get sick. So we've also learned that if somebody who's what we call asymptomatic, they don't have symptoms. Um, they feel well, but they've got the virus. They don't know it. But if they're wearing a face mask, they'll probably have a 60 to 70% reduction in spread to somebody else. So there's a big thing that we've learned that if you're wearing a face mask and, you're, and you've got the virus, you've already got it. You can't do anything about it, but you'll, yes. wearing a face mask will reduce spread. Similarly, if you don't have it, wearing a face mask will reduce the likelihood that you'll get it, but not by a lot. It helps a little bit. But those are simple messages, Reg, that really sort of speak to, um, to how do we reduce the transmission. Well, where did the, 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 the understanding or the misconception that younger people weren't susceptible to the virus come from? You know, maybe that was younger people wanting to feel that they, they were invulnerable. I've no, I don't know quite where it came from, but you're, you're correct. It certainly isn't true. Um, I think what we learned about this is that it doesn't matter what age you are, you could get infected with the virus. Um, children get it, teenagers get it, and every, people of every age get the virus. Now, the question that emerged, or the point that emerged fairly quickly, was the older you are and the more underlying disease you've got, the worse the outcome was, the more likely you were going to get into hospital, the more likely you were going to get seriously ill. So, you know, what we've learned is that if you're over 65, if you've got underlying diseases like diabetes, um, hypertension, um, other immune situations going on, you're not more likely to get the virus, but you're more likely to suffer a more serious illness once you've got it. So I think the initial perception was the people who were showing up at hospitals and sick, they were the elderly, they were the, they were the, immune, the, the immune compromised. So it was like, well, maybe young people aren't getting it. And then we learned, yeah, they are. And some of them are doing, didn't do very well. So that's really, I think, where that myth arose yeah. initially. 
And I think a lot of the confusion is this is a new thing. So we're reporting as we're learning about it. So every report is like, well, we found this out this week. It turns out we weren't right about this thing. Uh, the, I guess the, the study group was, was too small, or as it gets larger, we're figuring out more things. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy. By the way, I'm looking in multiple places because we have several screens, and I'm trying <laughs> to figure out. Um, but it, this is, I, I don't think I ever would experience something like this in my lifetime, and I believe, and I think the, the larger uh, population believe this is something that only happens in the past or in like third world countries. And we're learning fairly quickly that this this can impact anybody. Absolutely, no, uh, and 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 it is. Um, you know, we've seen the prime minister of Britain being in intensive care. Um, it it's doesn't insane. matter. Who, no. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are. Um, we don't have any natural immunity to this, and you're vulnerable. And and so you're absolutely right. I mean, it's something like we've never experienced. And going back to the preventative measures. Um, and I, I, I received, uh, I've been receiving several like, uh, like, you know, press briefings and, uh, press kits and so on and so forth. There are ways we can, in fact, within our, our infrastructure circumvent or, or prevent this sort of thing. So when I'm, I'm looking out here, I, I just saw a video of uh, ionized hydrogen peroxide, uh, mm, yeah. Yeah, so it's an ionized hydrogen peroxide system, and the way this works from the video, uh, you uh, of course explained it better than me. It seems that it it releases this um, is some sort of spray, or it, it sprays it out into the air, and it essentially sanitizes and kills anything that could possibly infect another person. Right, right. No, you've got it in principle. Um, you you know the the, the idea is certain chemicals will destroy the virus. The good news about this virus, Reg, is that it's not a particularly tough virus. It's fairly easy to kill. So, you know, we know that if you wipe a surface off with, with hydrogen peroxide or with bleach at the right concentration, you'll kill the virus. So can we, can we use that idea um, to protect us? And this whole hydrogen peroxide in the air concept is really born out of that notion, is that you, you have a chemical, hydrogen peroxide, which has actually been used for a long time in certain healthcare settings and other environments and other places where you spray it into the air and it, and it lands on the surface of whatever, wherever you are, you know, an, a, an operating room or a, an emergency room or in a food plant, a food facility, a food factory. And when it lands on the surface, it will kill microbes, bacteria and viruses on that surface. The same technology has been used on cruise ships. You know, we've heard about those in the past as being a source of, uh, of, of spread of viruses and something called norovirus on cruise ship. So the, the, the basic fundamental question is, is, if it was in the air, can it reduce the spread, say, from me to you? If we're three feet apart and there's a hydrogen peroxide in the air between us and I've got it and you don't and I cough, will the hydrogen peroxide that may be in the air kill the virus before it gets to you. That's, that's really the, what, what this is all about. And there's some indications that that is true. It's a very exciting technology in that regard because the, the questions about something like this is, first of all, is it safe? I mean, am I okay breathing this stuff? Am I gonna get sick? I don't want to That's my next question. I knew it would be. 
you know, so, so let's get right now in front of that. And you know, this, this technology has been around for a while and it's being used. And yeah, I mean, you, you can't go crazy with the concentration. You have to manage the concentration. But it's got a very strong safety record. So we, we pretty much check that box. You know, the second box is, does it work? And we know it works on contact surfaces. We know it works with viruses. We don't really know for sure it's going to work on this one because it's too early, as you said. You know, we're, we're learning about this, this little critter every single day. But it works on tougher viruses. So I'm pretty hopeful it's going to work on this one. Um, so I think it's safe. It, 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 it's most, more likely than not, it's effective. Um, the big unknown is can we get concentrations around that is in the, in the air, say, between you and me, so that's going to work. Why, why isn't the, okay, I mean, it's, we're still figuring out the technology, I'm assuming, but if it's killing right. stronger viruses, why hasn't this, I mean, it's already on cruise ship, so why hasn't this been implemented in hospitals? Maybe it has, I don't know, hospitals, schools, I have kids. I would imagine even if it was set up on a timer or something and yeah. when everybody left, it turned on and essentially like disinfected everything. Why, why wouldn't this be more, more widespread in use? Or maybe people just never thought it was something that was actually needed. You know, it's, it's, it's the, the answer to your question goes back to some of the things we discussed earlier is as you look back and you think, well, why didn't we do this? And why didn't we do that? Why didn't we invest in some technology that, that could have prevented something like this? And it's the same point that I made earlier is why didn't we have 30,000 ventilators sitting in mothballs just in case we needed them? Um, you know, as human beings, we don't like to spend money on things unless we have to. And we, we our, our notion of when we have to changes under different situations. You know, we, we react to a crisis. This is a crisis. We've reacted to it. Um, the focus has been entirely on protecting health workers and getting masks and all the things that we've talked about and all the important things that you read in the media. We now get into the point as we move from, all right, maybe the, may, I wouldn't say the fire is out, um, but in certain parts of the world, it's sort of, it's, it's gone to a, from a flame to a smolder. Um, in the United States, we're getting there, but we need to be thinking long-term. Um, do we want to be socially distancing and face masks for the next year? No. Yeah. Can we find an alternate, alternate technology? that's gonna come online. So sure, if somebody had had 2020 uh, vision looking forward, they said, yeah, we need all these, um, these, these exciting technologies and, and but that's just not the way, way we are. So um, I'm hopeful that, that this will prove to be effective, um, that, it, that it'll work, it'll be cost effective. And going forward, we need to be thinking, as I mentioned earlier, yeah. you know, look for the next one. And um, we're getting there, yeah. we're getting there. Hopefully, if, if things like this, um, these technologies and these other things that we have in place, um, even if it was like, let's just say in like commercial properties and commercial buildings and schools and that sort of thing, hopefully uh, we could at, like, at least um, affect the curve as, as they've been like pushing and, and keep yeah. the, the infectious rate as, yeah. as low as possible. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, we learned years ago that um, bacteria can spread around on planes because you're in a, you know, you're in a, an aluminum tube for five hours flying across the Atlantic from New York to London. Um, 
these days, planes have very sophisticated filtration systems in to cycle the air and clean it up. That wasn't always the case. It, it happens in the background. So we learn, we learn from things and then, it, then, then we, we invest in it, we put it in there and we're good moving forward, just as you say. Um, we may well be, hopefully we'll be different in the future. Now, I, I've seen a lot of businesses, um, companies I'm actually familiar with pivoting and like, you know, everyone's sort of moving in this direction where I guess trying to figure out what's next with the whole health thing. Mm. How do you feel like this affects society moving on? I'm just, even from the, the psychological perspective, people sort of being apprehensive about touching other people and that sort of thing. How do you think this sort of changes us? Or do you think things just immediately go back to normal? I don't think, well, I don't believe that things will immediately go back to normal. Um, you know, everybody who, listens to our conversation here is going to have their own sense of what they want to do and how, how fearful they are and how they will react. You know, some people are not going to go rushing back to movie theaters that are full of people. They're not going to go rushing back to sporting events. Um, some, will, some will say, well, I'm okay, I'll take the risk. Um, I think everybody's going to react to this a little differently, but 100% we're going to remember it. We're, we're going to know that we're, you know, we, we were in trouble, the economy got in trouble, we got worried, people got sick, people died, and we, we were not gonna forget that in our lifetime. So where I think it'll take us, Reg, is, is that I think in the future, we'll be more guarded. Um, you know, will, will handshaking go away forever? I doubt it, but you know, will we routinely carry a little bottle of hand sanitizer in our pocket more than we did before? Probably. Um, yeah. will, we, will we be walking around with face masks forever? Probably not. Hopefully people just wash their hands more. Yeah, right. Exactly. Basic precautions. But I think one thing that will change is that next time in China or wherever it is in the world, you start to hear news reports of a, an outbreak of illness, anything like this, we're going to be way more wary and ready than we were before. Yeah. So the, the idea of, um, I guess, shutting down airports, the way we're looking at other countries, I mean... Unfortunately, this, this political climate has been very weird the last couple of years, so I, I don't think this necessarily helps things. But on the more positive note, maybe we walk away from this thinking, okay, this is like the great equalizer where global community, what affects one of us affects all of us, and maybe we should right. you know, be, be better to each other. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that's one thing that in, in, in the United States we're not very good at is looking at what else is going on in the rest of the world and realize that, you know, it's, uh, you know when, when, when Italy sneezes, we in the U.S. catch a cold, and that's exactly what happened. Mm. Um, and, and we need to be more aware of that. We need to be global. We need to be looking around and, and seeing what's happening in other parts of the world do impact us in, in really pretty significant ways if we don't get out in front of it. So when do you believe things will I, at least start to get back to normal? When do you believe this whole shelter in place is going to start to wind down? People are, yeah. When can people expect to start to get back to normalcy? Well, it's going to be geographically driven. It's going to depend on what's going on in your local community. Um, different parts of the United States are going to get back up to normal more quickly than others. Um, you know, interestingly, you know, where I live, um, way up in northwest Montana, the governor in my state just announced this morning um, 
the beginning next week, uh, next Wednesday, things were going to start to open up. Um, he's talking about in two weeks of, of reopening schools. So, we, you know, we've only had 400 and something cases in the state total. So, you know, it's, it's a very different picture here in Montana than it is where, where you are. Um, everywhere is going to be a little different. Some have peaked, some haven't. Some are still, are, are still getting worse. So um, it, it's going to vary, but it's going to be slow. It needs to be slow and careful. Okay. Well, um, I mean, it, it's the, the circumstances of, of our meeting is unfortunate. I mean, I, I love to do podcasts in person, but obviously here, here, here we are. Um, moving forward, like, uh, I, I really hope we're more prepared next time. Being stuck in the house with my family has just been, um, it's been a lot. It's been very trying. I think I'm one of those people that's going to take the risk and just <laughs> bolt out the door as soon as it's, as soon as it's possible. Yeah. Uh, the the last question I would have because I I remember living through the the recession and I remember SARS I remember E. coli I remember like uh, not E. coli I'm sorry Ebola and all of this mm -hmm. what's uh before we close out what's the fundamental difference with this disease why should people be more um I guess worried or is is the fear just a a thing that's been driven by the media and again uh the I guess the geographical effect of those diseases were more so Ebola was more like we believed it was in like Africa and so on and so forth. What about this disease is like the differentiator? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Um, yeah, it, it, Ebola is a very scary disease and it actually has a much higher death rate than coronavirus does, much higher. But it's, it's more difficult to spread. To spread Ebola, you have to come into contact with bodily fluids of somebody who's, who's got the disease. Um, what's scary about this one is, is it spreads. I, you cough on me from two feet away and you've spread it if you're infected. Mm -hmm. You know, Ebola doesn't do that. Um, other diseases that we're familiar with, um, you know, get transmitted through food. It's like, you know, cook your chicken and you won't get salmonella from, from your chicken. Um, so. This, this one is, is different in that way. I think it's scary because it's global. Um, and, it's, and it's scary because it's really hit home. It, it, it's affected every single person in this country. I, there's nobody who's dodged a bullet in this one. You, you know, they've, they've either had to stay home, as you say, um, or they've lost a job, or they're worried about losing a job. Um, it's turned us all upside down. So I think, um, you know, the good news about this is I think the overall death rate won't be nearly as bad as we initially feared. But the bad news is that we, have, news. That we have a death rate. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've obviously, this whole thing has, has had a massive, both mental, emotional, and economic impact on us that we won't forget. Um, and that's probably the lesson here. And we, none of us want to go through this again. And, no. you know, I think, you know, final thoughts on that is we've got to learn from this. Um, and you know, in my business, I do a lot of crisis management. And one of the things that I always say is, is, is learn from a good crisis. You know, what can you learn from a crisis to help you prepare for and prevent the next one? Um, we're in this one, we're getting out the other side of it. I strongly believe we're on the, we're on the, on the positive side of this one. 
But, you know, let's not get complacent. Let's learn from this and make sure we don't get into another one. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for, for coming on the show. I, I appreciate you taking the time out. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think we're, we're as busy as, as we were prior to this, but uh, I, I still value your time and you like hanging out so many screens. I'm, I'm looking at your face like three, three, <laughs> different, three different ways here. Um, yeah, and we're closing out. Thanks for coming on to Thought Hack. You're very welcome. No, good questions and appreciate the time. Thanks, Reg. No problem. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Catalyst Case, Sendstroke, Wildhorn Outfitters, and of course, Blue Microphone. This is Reg, and you're listening to Thought Hack.